I think that's the question that we this morning as a church need to wrestle with and we as individuals need to wrestle with is what's my part? What's your part? What is the part that we play in the life of the next generation, those students who are, are going to be the next leaders in our communities and in our nation and perhaps in our world? What am I doing to make a difference? Um, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, my name's Todd Cullen, and I'm the lead pastor here. And because we only hire Todds, I guess, as pastors, this is Todd Cooper. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, this is Todd Cooper, and he is our student pastor, and uh, he is entering his third year. I mean, you're actually about halfway into your third year here at Hilton Island Community Church. Man, I'm so thankful for you and Sammy and your little guy, Everett, who's eight months old. Isn't, aren't they awesome? Why don't you give him a warm welcome this morning? They do such a great job in the life of our church and, um, uh, you know, pastoring and leading our students and the student efforts that we have. They do such an amazing job. And uh, Todd and I have uh, a lot of things in common. One is our first name. That's pretty obvious. Um, the second is we're really close in age. <laughs> I heard Scott Odom really laugh at that one. And I was hoping to say that we also follow uh, Super Bowl championship teams this Sunday. I was hoping to be able to say that because he's a huge Denver Broncos fan, and of course you guys know I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. So anyway, I can't say that though. I was really hoping that I could open with that today, maybe next year. So anyway, um, hey, I'm glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 2. We are in the second part of our series, Monday's Coming. And um, how many of you love Mondays? Raise your hand if you love Mondays. All right, there's three. You have a, there's a two small group there. that just started. Do what? Yeah, yeah, there's two back there. There's two, three. I think I saw three. So there's a small group. If you guys want, it's the Monday. People love Monday small groups. So anyway, have fun with that. Um, Monday's coming. When we think about Monday, um, we usually don't think good things, do we? And uh, that's true of just about all of us, except for those three. Um, but uh, anyway, we, uh, we really think about the fact that we're not ready. And so this message series really centers itself around how we can prepare spiritually for the dread of the week. And I think that what happens and kind of our premise in this series is that uh, what happens in our spiritual lives is, is that we come to church, a lot of Christians come to church on Sunday, and, and we kind of, we come in and we do our spiritual thing, and we kind of check it at the door. You know, it's like, I wish we could have lockers, you know, and like, you know, hey, I'm going to put my spiritual stuff in here, it's reserved for church, it's a Sunday thing, and I can leave it. And the problem with that thinking, the flaw in that thinking, is, is that you and I are, are spiritual beings, and we're really made to live a seven-day-a-week faith, a seven-day-a-week faith journey, rather than just one day a week. And so, in this series, uh, you are hearing from different people, and uh, last week you heard from Summer Dempster, who is our kids' ministry director, and she oversees really birth through fifth grade. And so um, she oversees our preteen ministry and our kids' ministry. And uh, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. I, I probably had more response, not negative response, really positive response from last week than I've had in a long time um, with Summer here because she gave some really good handles on how we as parents and we as leaders can, can really have a spiritual plan for not only our families, but as well as ourselves. And so we really began last week with the idea that having a spiritual plan 
for uh, our family the other six days a week is vital so that we don't have that Monday's coming dread or fear. And so today we're switching gears. We're going to be talking about mentoring and accountability. And so I'm going to give you the bottom line. You already see it. It's already up right behind me this morning. The bottom line this morning, but here's the deal. I'm going to give that to you, but you got to stay with me, okay? If, if I tell you the bottom line, don't be like, okay, cool. We went to church. Let's get out of here, okay? So, so hang with us. So the bottom line this morning is that having spiritual mentors and accountability the other six days uh, is vital to not dreading the Mondays coming every week. And so we're viewing this and we're learning this really kind of through the lens of how it connects with the next generation. But i got to be honest with you, adults, parents, grandparents, anyone at any age in here, um, this is not just a student thing. This is not just a new Christian thing. The idea of mentoring and accountability is something that we all need. And I began last week with asking a question. It had such an impact on people that were, were here last week and me, um, and I'm going to ask that I'm going to ask it again. And I, I want you to raise your hand and keep your hand up this morning if um, your faith journey was, you know, affected by someone else. If someone else kind of came alongside you and helped you grow in your faith when you were a young Christian, raise your hand this morning if you would, and keep it up for a moment. And I want you to look around, look around the room for a second. Isn't that incredible? Okay, you put your hands down. Most of us were positively affected by someone who came alongside of us and helped us in the journey. Because as we're going to discover next week, you're going to hear from Mindy Hopman next week, um, life, the Christian life was not meant at all to be lived alone. We were created for community, but we were also created to help each other in that community and today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how important it is that you and I are committed to this idea of, of shaping the spiritual direction of the next generation. And how important it is, is, it is for us to be committed to that ourselves as well as passing that on to the next generation. And I want to begin with a premise. And the premise comes, we're going to see in a moment, from Romans 12, uh, verses 19 through 23. But I want to begin with this premise because I think this is kind of the foundational kind of you know, uh, you know, premise and, and, and value for everything that you're going to hear from, from really Todd Cooper here over these next few minutes. And that's this. Um, how we live our lives... Um, will affect the spiritual direction of the next generation of students. How we live our lives will affect the spiritual direction of students. And that can be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. And the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking to the church in Rome, um, he actually addresses this because he's talking about this idea of what do we do with the law. And the law existed for so long with the Jewish people and all these Jewish people that in Acts chapter 2 become Christians and God does an amazing thing. Um, they're really Jewish people who have become Christians. They're, they're from the Jewish race, and they've become Christ followers. They've accepted Jesus as their Savior. So when he's writing this letter, he's writing this to the church in Rome now, and so they were largely Gentile, but he's addressing some of the things that were confusing about this particular period of time in terms of Christianity and how the Jewish culture and the Christian culture kind of mesh and what Jesus did. And so essentially what he says is that the Old Testament law was brought to completion with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so he's kind of discussing then 
really how do we live? And that's really what all of Romans is about. Um, I think it's one of the, the kind of the key uh, uh, passages or, excuse me, key books in all of Scripture. But take a look at what he says here and what he writes here in Romans chapter 2, 19 through 23. Um, just dig in here with me for a moment and check this out. He says this. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, as I put my glasses on, that's kind of funny. Uh, And if you uh, are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If all of those things are true, and everything he said up to now is really addressing those who are the mentor, who's the spiritual guide, okay? He says this in verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhors idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Now, what Paul is talking about here is essentially this principle. That those of us who are in a position to lead other people spiritually, we need to take a moment and inspect our lives and get introspective and ensure that the thing that we're leading them to, we're not violating or the thing that we're trying to lead them in, we have somewhat of a grasp on. He's not talking about perfection. In fact, he he really goes against that in the the verses leading up to this. His goal is for, for the teacher or for the one who's the mentor to not be perfect, but to be pure and genuine and authentic in our faith walk. And what I see so many times, and I see it in my life. Look, I've got a, I've got a 12-year-old daughter who is in here today and um, a uh, son who just turned 10. And, uh, you know, uh, there are times throughout the week that they will remind me of what I said on Sunday, and I'm violating it. And, you know, that's really good for a pastor to have that in his life, all right? I'm just going to be honest with you for a second, right, Sydney? So, anyway, it's, all, it's pretty good that uh, they do that because it'll, it really causes me to check who I am and, and where my heart really is. And the tendency is, is for parents or leaders to go um, to, to one extreme or the other. We either go to the legalistic extreme where we set up all these laws and all these rules and all these different things and we might be in alignment with God's word 100% in doing so and we preach that and we teach that and we enforce that and we value that and at the same time we're violating it all the time. And what they're going to see is hypocrisy, and they're going to be driven away from God because they didn't see a genuine, authentic faith. The other extreme is is that we say, hey, I have freedom in Christ. I can do what I want, and we live a life that we essentially um, doesn't like line up with God's word, and we take our freedom too far, and essentially what we're saying to the next generation is this is okay. When in reality, it doesn't align with God's word. And I think if we were to really take Paul seriously here in Romans 2, we would look at our hearts and make sure that we are being mentored. 
that we are in accountability with other Christians, that we are spending time in God's word every, every day. If we're going to preach these things to anyone, we need to inspect our lives and make sure that we're doing that because in reality, the next generation and our students that are in our home or in our church or in our community, their ability to, to grow in their faith walk really um, is determined by how pure our hearts are and how much we are growing in our faith walk as well. Yeah, you know, just over the last few years, I couldn't agree with this idea more. Um, I would like to think that what goes on in here, this is our um, student room for 6th grade through 12th grade, what goes on in there is the most influential aspect to a student's spiritual life, but that's not true. That's not true. You saw last week that the church has an average of 40 hours a week with a student or child, and you as parents have an average of, I believe it was over 400 or 300. 3,000. 3,000. Yep. I can't count that high. All right? I just have a ministry degree. I don't have a math degree. Um, and so I want you to understand whether you think you're a mentor, whether you want to be a mentor or not, you are to your children, to your grandchildren, to the students who come here every Sunday, whether you maybe you don't even have children. And the reality is that I very rarely, if any, I mean, it would take a little bit to think of an example, but I very, very rarely see a student who pursues God more than their parents do. It's, it's this idea of the law of the lid, if you're familiar with the leadership principles, that you cannot expect somebody to go beyond where you're willing to go yourself. And you might think, well, my student has, does not care about anything I say. They don't care about anything I do. Trust me, that's not true. It's not true. Because... The difference, I believe, between children and students, and we talk about children here up to fifth grade, students sixth grade to twelfth, it's not hard and fast that it stops there at fifth to sixth grade, but for the most part, the difference between a child and a student is that children want to know and students want to see. Your child wants to know, your student wants to see. And what I mean by that is the, the most influential aspect um, of my parents' relationship with me and with God in, in elementary school was when my mom would drop me off every morning, and on the way to school, she would pray over me, and she would tell me who I was um, in Christ, and she'd tell me God's plans for my life and how much God loves me, and that's what influenced my life, even though sometimes I'd even roll my eyes towards the end of fourth, <laughs> fifth grade and say, there's people behind us in the line. Hurry up. That's what influenced me. It did. I promise. And in high school, what influenced me is leaving every Wednesday morning from my house, jumping my own car, and having passing by these women who are coming into my house every Wednesday morning for a mom's in touch from when I was a kindergarten until my mom still does it. She still meets with these women, and she, they pray for their children. They pray for their children's schools. And in high school, it was me seeing what my mom was doing that made an influence in my life. Even in 11th grade, when I was getting in trouble from, you know, from the police, my parents were coming to pick me up out of the back of cop cars, and all of these different crazy things I did my junior year, they would have thought that I was never listening, I was never observing, that I didn't care. But really, it was more so in that time, it was in the time of tribulation, it was in the time of stress, where I saw, wow, they, they're really genuine about this. They really, truly mean what they say. It's not just something that they've um, perfected in their speech. And so students want to see. Students want to see. They want to see what you do with your life. 
They want to see what matters to you. They want to see how you react to different situations. And so this first idea is, is exactly that, is what I do in my life matters. As a parent, as a grandparent, as just a church member with the students that are, some are sitting up here, others are sitting around the room, what you do with your life and in your life matters. How you react to your Super Bowl team, your, your team losing the Super Bowl matters. <laughs> you can be in my office at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. I don't, I'm a student pastor. I don't wake up that early. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. you're right. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but I, but I am serious. Yeah. I am serious about this, is that what you do in your life matters. And even something as simple as how you react to something such as a football game or a sporting event or somebody cutting you off in traffic or mm. your server who maybe your server has had, you know, you had poor service or maybe the cashier in front of you, your students are going to mm. recognize that. Especially in those moments of trial and tribulation, they're going to want to see. That's when they see that it's genuine. When you're struggling in your marriage, when you say something or your spouse says something to you and how quickly you forgive each other. The students, they don't want to know anymore. They want to see. They know all about forgiveness. We teach it every week in children's church, and that's foundational. But now they want to see. They want to see, do you really, truly care about this? Are you willing to give up? you know, this part of your job? Are you willing to give up this aspect of your life or to pursue God? What are you doing throughout the week? Are you just spending one hour out of the 168 in the week at church or are you pursuing God with those other hours? They want to see what you do in your life. And this is the second one. It's not only what you do with your life matters, but how you treat them matters. How you treat these students they matter. That matters. Your son or daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson, these students that you pass by every Sunday, that you pass by at Starbucks, how you treat them matters. And the first idea is this, is they first want to know, are they accepted? They're asking a question, and we answer this question with everything we do, every word we speak to them, am I enough? The first thing is they want to know, am I enough? Or do I need to dress a certain way? Maybe because you came from a traditional background and you dressed up for church and that's respectful towards God. Yes, maybe it is. But am I enough or do I need to dress a certain way? Do I need to speak a certain way? Am I enough even if I come walking in after smoking a cigarette outside of the church doors or I walk in with my homosexual partner? Am I enough or do I need to do something or say something or be someone for you to accept me? Do I need to provide a conversation for you that's intriguing to you? Do I need to show you respect? Listen, you might not receive respect from these students, but the way that we respond answers a question, am I enough? Jesus did this so perfectly, and the Bible tells us that he loves, or we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We didn't offer anything to God. We didn't come before him dressed well, speaking well, with a certain amount of knowledge. We offered nothing, and Jesus came for us and loved us before we could even love him, before we could even love God. And so we, in the same way, we have an opportunity every Sunday, every Wednesday, every day throughout the week, and everything we do to answer this question that students are begging to know, am I enough? You know, I, I think of a story each time I think about this, because this is so essential. 
I think of this story, and it's, it's actually uh, about my wife. It's about Sammy. And it's probably one of the most powerful stories that I, that I can think of in, in ministry, in student ministry, about this idea of being accepted and, and feeling uh, like enough. And uh, I was involved in a youth group basically all through middle school and high school. And my sophomore year is when I invited Sammy. Uh, we, went to, we grew up together. I invited her to youth group. We were just friends at this point, and I knew a lot about her life and what she was going through, the lies that she had been fed through, um, through her own family, through her friends, through coworkers, the self-image issues that she was struggling with, just like any other high school girl or middle school girl. And I remember I invited her to youth group, and we had this outreach, and, and she doesn't remember anything about the night. She doesn't remember anything about the message she couldn't tell you what it was about, what they said. All that she remembers is she walked in, and a woman by the name of Annie Peters, who we still um, keep in contact with today, this woman by the name of Annie Peters was a leader, and she, didn't, she wasn't there every single week. She was a mother, a wife. She had a full-time job. She couldn't be there every week. She wasn't there every week, but she was there that night, and she saw Sammy come in, and she went up to Sammy, and she... She introduced herself. She got to know her. She complimented her smile. She complimented her hair. And she just loved and loved and loved on Sammy. And she didn't know any of this. I didn't tell anybody what was going on in Sammy's life. She was calling her beautiful when she was call, be, being called fat and ugly in her household and at her job. Annie answered the question for Sammy, am I enough here? And that's the reason Sammy came back. It wasn't because of the message. It wasn't because of anything else. She came back because she felt accepted. And uh, the second idea is this, is taking this a step further. It's not just helping them to feel accepted, but to help them feel treasured. And this is what I mean by that. They're asking the question, do you care about me? Your student, the students here are asking the question, do you care about me? Not just am I enough, that's the first step, but do you care about me? Or am I just part of this process every Sunday, this one hour out of the 168 hours of the week? Am I just part of the process? Because anybody can perfect a process. But am I, do you care about me? Do you care about the test that I had mentioned that I'm dreading? Do you care about the baseball, the volleyball tournament that I have? Do you care that maybe I told you or maybe you know about my parents getting a divorce? Do you care about these things? Or am I just part of the process? Do you care about me? Do you care about what's going on in my life? Do you want to help me? And that's where we go to the next one, is empowered. The finally, the last one is empowered. And I think so often we get stuck on this idea that, you know, I want to jump in and help out with students, and I always want to, you know, I can teach a Bible study, and I can, you know, share all my life experiences, and that is, we need that. The students need that. But they don't care how much you know until they, they know how much you care. It's true with anyone, but especially students. They don't care. They could care less about how much you know until they first know how much you care. They could be going through a, the worst breakup that they have ever gone through. They could be going through the worst family situation they've ever gone through. They could be doubting God, and you could give them all the answers and all the, the, the spot-on perfect answers, and they won't care. They want to first know, do you care about me? Do you care about me? And so these first two, we can't miss them. We can't miss this idea of help them to feel accepted, help them to feel treasured. And then we have this amazing opportunity with our own children and the students here and the students on this island and the students around us to empower them. When they come up to us and say, hey, 
this is going on in my life. You know, do you, have you been through this? Do you know what I can do? Or maybe when we can begin to speak into their life, hey, I know that you're struggling with this. You know, you want to grab a cup of coffee and talk about it. It's first when we show them that we care about them, and then we can begin to empower them. We can begin to show them how to get through these different trials and tribulations. You know, there's one thing that's interesting about those three things that uh, Cooper just talked about, accepted and treasured and empowered. Um, that is something that we all need, isn't it? It's not just reserved for students. It's a human condition. It's our human condition. And that's what Jesus offers us. That's what God offered us, acceptance, treasured, and empowered. That's what he gave us when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. And that's why it's so important that we as adults and parents and those who serve in the role of parents are rooted in his word and are resting in him and, and getting our, the source of strength from him. Uh, because we all need that acceptance. We need to be treasured and we need to be empowered as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm reminded of how many times Jesus went out of his way mm. to go find people and to make them feel not just cared mm. for but treasured. He went to the woman at the well, the Samaritan, who Jews and Samaritans wanted nothing to do with each other. Mm. He went to Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Yeah. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't just part of the process. If they came across his path, he, he put on a good face for a little bit. He cared about these people and he wanted to be involved in their life. And here's the last one. The first two is, is what you do with your life matters, how you treat students matters, and this is the last one, your involvement with them matters. Yeah. Your involvement with student ma students matters. I'm passionate about students. If you haven't noticed that, then hang around me a little bit longer. I'm passionate about students, and, and this made me even more passionate when I found this statistic last year. 92% of all Christians, and you guys basically just demonstrate that early when you raise your hand, 92% of all Christians made the decision to follow Christ before the age of 18. 92% of all Christians, the largest religion in the world, it's the largest in the United States, and I believe this study is probably just for the United States, but, I mean, it's probably not too much different. 92% of all Christians made the decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18. Not to say that they didn't struggle, they didn't veer away from God, they didn't have their, their times, but they consider that the foundation of their faith was set before the age of 18. Mm. We have 5,000 students on this island between 5 and 18, children and students, 5,000. Mm. Of all those who will, will decide to follow Christ, 92% of them will do it here on Hilton Head Island. Mm. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. Not just an opportunity, I really believe that we are called to be a part of that. If you, if you read Jesus' teachings enough, you'll realize that he talks about children a lot. Mm. He talks about children a lot. Mm. They're very important to him. And this statistic proves it. 92% of them will make that decision here on Hilton Head Island. And that stat drives our church. I know you need to um, get into involvement, but I, I wanted to pause here for a moment. If some of you wonder why we put such a high emphasis on our kids' ministry and on our student ministry, why we put so many resources into it, it's that stat. If we're a church and our mission is to passionately share the message of Jesus and to lead people to follow him, then if 92% of people accept Christ before the age of 18, then we should be putting a lot of resources with our kids and with our students. It is highly important. Yeah. Keep continuing with involvement. And I, and I, you know, I hear 
uh, every so often, you know, I, I want to be more involved in outreach outside the four walls, and that's amazing. And, and really, if you hang out long enough here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, you will realize that we do more than I, any church I've ever been a part of. We do so much outreach. But let me say this. If you don't consider hanging out with 50 to 100 students who are involved on sports teams, in their classrooms, in families who are going to become doctors, lawyers, businessmen, businesswomen, to be in outreach, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And so this, this is a few ways that I want to challenge you guys to consider being involved in the life of a student. All right, the first one is this, is, is maybe consider informal involvement. What I mean by that is, you know, maybe some circumstance requires this or maybe a gifting that you have, you know, maybe uh, encourages something like this, but consider writing letters to our students who have gone to college. The studies are showing right now that students <coughs> feel most abandoned by the church when they leave for college. They never feel more abandoned in their life by the church than when they leave for college. And we wonder why they're leaving the church by their second year into college is because maybe that church they spent 18 years growing up in all of a sudden doesn't want anything to do with them or they feel that way until they come home on break. Maybe you can write a letter, a handwritten letter. When I was at National Youth Workers Convention in 2011, a youth pastor had mentioned this. And he mentioned how a woman in her, in her 80s in the church wrote a handwritten letter to every college student each semester. And she had no idea who they were. The students had no idea who she was, but it meant so much to these mm. students. Maybe it's sending birthday cards to our students. They love getting birthday cards. Maybe it's setting up on Wednesday nights and cleaning up on Wednesday nights, helping us out, or maybe setting up or cleaning up for events, or maybe it's you know, hooking us up with connections or discounts for different stuff that will help our ministry. Um, Stephanie Reed, one of our leaders, her parents own a charter bus company, and they took us last year, and they're taking us this year. By the way, we have 100 already signed up for summer camp this year, and so two charter buses are taking us down to summer camp this year, and it's the best charter bus company I've ever worked with, all right? So she has helped us with that connection. This is the second one. Not just informal involvement, but encourage students in their church involvement. Encourage your son or daughter, your grandchildren, the students here with church involvement. And what I mean by that is the first thing that comes to mind is parents, let me challenge you and let me encourage you. Don't punish your kids. Don't punish your students by taking away youth group. <laughs> it's, it's, it's partially funny, but it's so true. It, I it happens. feel the uncomfortable tension. <laughs> and maybe it's a laugh because people are uncomfortable. Don't punish your students by taking away youth group. It's not just two hours of having fun in there. Yes, we have fun, but two weeks ago, I had students text me almost till midnight. I had students and leaders text me saying that was the most amazing night that I've ever been a part of. I wish every week was like that. And it wasn't because we had fun. We played one game like we always play. And the majority of the night was seeking after God. God is working. Don't let your students miss that. Don't make your students miss that, please. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Adjust your checkbook. Adjust your calendar to make sure your son or daughter can make it to the events that we have because they're not just fun. They're life-changing events. Make it happen. Make it happen. Please make it happen. This is the last one. Let me encourage you to serve in the student ministry. They say, oh, there it is. Here it Shameless is. Shameless plug. Serving the student ministry. But listen, we have 50 to 100 students every Wednesday night. And we don't have enough leaders. We can, we can put on a program on Wednesday nights just fine. Mm -hmm. But they need to be accepted, empowered, and, and, and treasured and empowered. 
And so real quickly, I just want um, a couple to come up. This is Scott Odom and Tate Lucci. I want them to come up. Give it up for them. There we go. <laughs> Hey, real quickly, I sent out a text this week to um, our students, and I received a lot of replies, but um, I chose this for a reason. But I, I sent a text, and I asked the students, who is a leader who has had an influence on your life, and why? <coughs> why have they had an influence on your life? And Tate, who's a senior, he's going to West Virginia next year, he wants to be a cardiologist, all right? I talked earlier about how these students are going to become great, they're going to do great things, become doctors and lawyers and change the world, influence them now, and he's going to change the world, all right? And so I asked Tate, and this was his response. So let me ask you, Tate, how has Scott influenced your life? Uh, for starters, uh, Scott always has a smile on. <laughs> <laughs> Does right now. <laughs> um, and he is just so willing to just make others around him happy, and he just cracks jokes until it, like, it hurts. <laughs> and, um, and he just has a heart for the Lord, and we can all feel that, and he's just a very loving person. He's always there for anyone when they need it. That's awesome. And my second question to you, Tate, is, is how has this changed your view of God and not just of God, of the church, not just this church, the church in general? How has Scott's influence on you changed your view? Well, on a personal level, um, I've always struggled with love and being like experiencing happiness. And due to that, I was like questions raised, like, why am I adopted? Why do my parents love me? And so then just being accepted, like with Scott accepting me just as a friend, and that just small stuff like that really matters. And there are people that do care. Awesome. All right, Scott, I got a couple questions for you. Thank you, Tate. So, Scott, surely um, everybody's wondering what is your degree in? What ministry degree do you have? And so let me ask you, what degree do you have? I actually don't. Uh, I don't have a degree in that. Um, <laughs> but I want to say Tate, Tate is, a, is a great young man. And if you don't know him, you should. Uh, I don't want to be like just like him when I grow up. <laughs> Scott doesn't have a degree, and I want to point that out real quickly because you might be in here and you might think, I need to have this or that to serve in student ministry. I need to be excellent and an expert in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and ancient mm -hmm. Jewish culture and church history and theology. And I need to be able to memorize every student's first, middle, and last name, their social security number. No, you don't. You don't. Some of the most influential people in my life have been people who in their 60s, 70s, 80s when I was in high school. You don't need to be a young, hip, all right? Scott is a, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a hip, but I don't know about young, all right? Ooh, Sorry, just, man. Hey, you just lost a youth leader, yeah, man. Yeah, I might. <laughs> but hey, Scott is a husband, he's a father, he's a business owner, he works all the time, and he has influence on students' lives. I put him over the seventh and eighth grade guys, and Tate is a senior. He's not even directly over Tate as a leader, but he's influenced Tate's life, all right? So, Scott, what is your favorite part of youth ministry? Pizza, ice cream. Uh, you know, we, we only get, we get two hours in a week with them, and, uh, you know, for, for a lot of those kids, not all of them, but for a lot of them, that is the, uh, that's the most positive time of their week, and we got, if you haven't been back there, we got a lot of stuff going on back there, and it's, uh, it's a blast, and look at these knuckleheads. I mean, it's a, it's good to be, except for Hannah, she's not a knucklehead. It's, I, I love spending time, and Kathy would say, my live, my lovely wife, would say that um, I'm with a group of my peers, and that's probably true. But I, I love being with these kids. I'm very passionate about that, and I, I just, I like, I like being involved. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Last thing is, for anybody who's out here, maybe wrestling with the idea of possibly serving in the student ministry, what would you tell them? 
Yeah, I'd say if um, you know if you're on the fence or wrestling with it, um, uh, it's my it's been my experience that uh, it's usually maybe God pulling me, tugging at my heart one way, and then me kind of fighting back, going the other. Uh, that it's time at that point. I think you're pretty far down the path, and you should investigate it. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, give it up for them. He said something important. He said, maybe you should investigate it. And look, if you come on a Wednesday night to check it out, you're not committed. All right? Sammy and I want to meet. We want to grab coffee with you. We want to talk to you. And maybe you think, I don't have anything to offer. Maybe I don't have enough time. Who knows? You don't know until you can sit down and say, hey, this is what I can do. And we're going to find a place for you. All right? We, we have to find a place for you. I will find a place for you because it's so important. And you might say, maybe you're saying in here, I don't know if I can afford that kind of time. Here's the honest truth. We can't afford not to give our time to these students. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're here today, and as we've been talking about this, Scott, is, um, you know, you, you feel like God may be leading you to find out more at the bottom of the uh, worship folder that you received when you came in is a connection card. And there's a place on there that says Monday's coming. And if you're interested in hearing more about student ministry and talking with Todd and Sammy, um, just let us know your information. I know that he would love to uh, talk with you about that. You know, when I was... A student, I was really involved in our youth group, just in closing here um, this morning. And I've talked about my relationship with my youth pastor, Jeff. And Jeff is the pastor of Low Country Community Church. I had a huge part in getting this church started. But i got to be honest with you, um, it wasn't just Jeff. Jeff was the paid youth pastor. But it was guys like Randy, who was a volunteer. And another guy by the name of Paul, who was one of our other youth leaders. And Paul was probably the, the most unlikely type youth leader. He would leave his um, accounting job, and he would come dressed in his suit, and he'd take his jacket off, and he'd have a pocket protector with a bunch of pens in it, if you remember that, all right? Some of you remember that. And he had big, thick, Coke bottle thick, giant glasses. It was the 1980s, and the big glasses were in, all right? So, but he was the least likely person to connect with a student. And I got to tell you that Paul and Randy and, yeah, Jeff, those guys are all reasons that I'm here today. They are the reason that I was, I grew in my faith and that I was called into ministry and part of the reason that, um, you know, I, I was able to navigate some of the tough days of being a high school student and a college student. See, you can make a difference. Any of you can make a difference, just like Scott can in the life of a student. We as Christ followers need to be committed to the practices of accountability and being involved in mentoring. And then we need to pass it on. And that's how we can prepare ourselves and the next generation for Monday's coming, for the weeks and the months and the years that they have in this life that are not always easy. We can be a huge part of helping them navigate that as well. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks so much for today. Thank you for just the opportunity to, um, God, just share our hearts about what we believe is a vital, vital part of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And God, I pray that you would just um, 
empower and raise up new leaders in the life of this church who would come alongside Cooper and the rest of the leaders who are part of what goes on every single week. And back here in, in backstage at the well and God at the retreats and at the camps, God, I pray for your for you to do a work that's unbelievable in the life of this church so we can reach those 5,000 students that are on this island, God. And I pray that you would allow parents and grandparents and those who are in here who serve in the role of parents to do their best, as Cooper said, to fan that flame of their spiritual journey. God, I pray that you would raise up new leaders from the next generation that would be passionate about their service for you. And God, I pray that as the church continues on, generation after generation, that we would be one of those churches that says we'll never stop, we'll never stop. That's what Monday's coming means to us. And I pray that you would help us to do that and that we would rely on you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.